And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Monday, June 8th, 2020, and I have my friend, Ms. Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital on the line with me. How are you, Pam? I'm great, and I'm looking out my window, and it's a beautiful, beautiful sunny day. It is, and it was a beautiful weekend too, wasn't it? It absolutely was. We're very lucky. So we haven't spoken in a few weeks. A couple of weeks ago, I know I I spoke with your chief nursing officer, Gene Lydon, and uh, the president of your medical staff, Michelle Mazir, uh, who's a doctor in the ER also. So they gave us some good information, and I just wonder if you could give us a few updates from the last time I spoke with them in terms of your inpatient census with COVID. Absolutely. So when you spoke to them, there were 48 positive inpatients, and today there are 33 positive inpatients. And um, awaiting results, last time there were 13, now there are 5. Total deaths did go up from 48 to 53. And um, in DuPage County, at that time, there were 7,207 positive cases. At this point, there are 8,111. Um, in the state, last time, there was 112,017 uh, positive cases. To date, there's 127,757 cases, and deaths have gone up from 4,884 to 5,904. And for the good news, we have... Um, discharged 365 patients, which is up from 353 patients. So that's the positive news. Great. And it sounds like your inpatient census uh, with COVID is dropping too. So that's a good sign, right? It's an excellent sign. And particularly because we're about two weeks out of uh, Memorial Day. And I know a lot of people enjoyed Memorial Day weekend and um, still our numbers are stabilized. So that's excellent news. Great. And I know you've been very successful at keeping your staff safe. Uh, How's that going in terms of them testing positive? Um, It's still fairly stable. There's 35 uh, for the hospital and 19 for the uh, physician practice division. So very, very few additional cases. Okay. And I I know testing is very important to uh, ending this pandemic. Can you give us any updates on um, any new tests you might be implementing in the last few weeks and what your current capacity is? Certainly. So we did start the antibody testing. Um, It started on the 26th of May, and um, that is antibody testing for the COVID-19. And right now we have been running, uh, we can run about 1,200 tests per day, and to date we've run um, 255 tests antibody tests, and of those 255 antibody tests, uh, 9.8% have been positive. So not a huge volume have been positive. Um, We are also looking at getting another uh, antibody testing that will um, help us increase our volume and our ability that should come online within the next two weeks. And when we get that, we'll have um, more, probably more double the capacity of what we currently have. So um, we're hopeful that that will be coming along. I do want to, though, make a statement about um, the antibody testing in general, just so everybody understands. 
antibody testing is designed to determine if a person has been exposed to um, a COVID um, illness. It is not to uh, tell you if you have, uh, there's no proof yet whether you have immunity, even if you do test positive that you were exposed. And it doesn't mean you currently have it. Um, it just tells you that you were exposed and you um, have antibodies for the test. So it doesn't necessarily mean you have it or had it? No. Okay. Well, it means you you may have had it. It doesn't mean that you're may have had it, but you may not have had a, a large volume in it. But what it doesn't mean is that you're protected from immunity and, and or how long an immunity might last. Does it appear that our region of the state or our state will, in the next few months, be able to test anyone that wants to be tested? Are we, are we getting close to that? <laughs> um, we don't know. We're, we continue to increase having uh, more testing available and will continue to increase, but it's still going to be a priority type of uh, situation for who gets tested. Uh, we, we obviously want to worry about high-risk people. We want to worry about, um, like, as we're having people come into the hospital, we're testing people. We test people if they're going to have surgery. It, uh, it might be within a nursing home. So it, it's still going to have a prioritization process, but we are um, getting closer to having enough ability to at least get everybody who should get tested tested. I know that uh, during the pandemic, you had to institute some pretty strict um, policies related to visitors or, or no visitors even in many cases um, at the hospital. Um, you, you talked of starting to relax that possibly. Has that happened yet? Yes, we have started a pilot where we are allowing for people who um, have surgery for them to have one designated um, care partner, and that care partner can visit with them um, while they're in the hospital. So we have started that process. We're evaluating how it goes, and as, as we work through all the issues that that um, that has for us, we are going to try to have even more visiting. Now, we've always had visiting for a uh, care partner for somebody who is having a baby or a care partner for somebody who has language difficulty or needs some assistance or is in um, the last stages of life. So those have always happened, and we do make exceptions um, when there's a particular reason um, to have one or more visitors. But um, right now, the process is one care partner for any surgical patient. Some of the issues is uh, visitors don't necessarily want to just stay in the room. They want to travel around the hospital, and mm -hmm. we have to make sure that we keep the whole organization safe. Sure. So I, I know at one point you were talking about everyone being screened who entered the building. Is that still happening, and will that happen for the foreseeable future? Right now it is still happening. Um, we are trying to get some of these infrared uh, thermometers that you can just have uh, you walk through and you can tell if somebody has a fever. And when that happens, I think it'll be a little bit different process for how people are screened. But yes, we will be continuing to screen for quite a while. So I know that this um, past week you had some sort of, uh, I'll call it a, a formal show of support for the Black Lives Matter um, cause uh, by hospital employees. Um, how did that start and how did it go? Well, it started because uh, a couple of our doctors brought it forward to us and asked us there was um, going to be an official time on f that Friday at noon for um, 
for physicians or people with white coats to support Black Lives Matters. And so we decided as a system, we felt that that was very important for us to participate in. So we did have our formal 10-minute uh, demonstration where we were out in front of the, each hospital with uh, physicians and nurses, either in white coats or in scrubs, to, and knelt for uh, 40 for 10 minutes um, to honor George Floyd, um, who was a 46-year-old black man who did die at the hands of the police in Minneapolis. We wanted to honor him and also honor the fact that everybody's life is important and and we believe in diversity and inclusion as a healthcare organization in particular because we are here to serve all people, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what their disease is, so that we can make sure that their lives are the best that it can possibly be. And we felt it was important that we did that demonstration. It went very smoothly. It was, it was as I said, 10 minutes long. Um, I did notice, though, on Facebook that there were some posts that um, were, people were not very positive to it. And I just want to address two particular posts. One post, um, the person was very upset that we were being political. And we didn't feel that this was being political. We felt it was being uh, taking a stand for equality and treating people with respect. And that's why we did it. It has nothing to do with our political views. It has to do with our belief in humanity. And the second post was somebody who said that Elmhurst Hospital was not particularly a um, diverse hospital in terms of its leadership and its uh, board member constitution when that person had worked at the hospital many years ago. And I do want to say that that was probably accurate. It was before we merged, um, but we have taken many steps since then to um, become more diverse. We've had a, a diversity and inclusion council for over four years. We've added a diversity to our hospital, our system board. We have added diversity in our leadership. We consciously look to um, interview people, a, a diverse candidates to all leadership positions and board member positions every time something opens up. So I, I thank them for recognizing that we needed to change, and I want them to know we have changed. I know that there have been um, rallies across the country, some in this area, and a few of the early ones in our area had some trouble with outsiders that weren't really the ones that were there to protest. They were just there to cause trouble. Um, but most of the, the rallies have been pretty peaceful locally. So I would ask you, do you have any contingency plans as it relates to a rally that might get out of hand uh, where you might have to treat some folks that, that might get hurt and, and uh, use a triage system? So uh, I want to address a couple of things in that. Absolutely, we have contingency plans. We always do for any kind of emergency. Um, we, we have an emergency management system. We work with all the area hospitals and, um, and the area EMS to make sure that we can rise to any challenge in terms of injuries and, and, um, and health care needs of our community at any time. So that's always in place. We did also, as we knew things that were happening, our security uh, beefed up and made sure places were closed around areas that there might be problems and made sure that um, we had staff get home early so that they wouldn't be in, um, having to travel through any areas that might be violent. I do also want to say that Dr. Sullivan was at one of the rallies in um, 
in Elmhurst, mm-hmm. and he saw that there were a few people that did not seem to be from the area that were trying to um, encourage violence, both by the protesters as well as by the police. And um, he watched as the protesters in Elmhurst and the police did not respond to these gentlemen that were trying to incite rioting and um, and make it not a peaceful demonstration. And it, he was very impressed with the protesters and the police in their response and ability to not um, not engage and also to shut down these gentlemen who then eventually left and did not get what they wanted. So I'm, I'm very proud to be part of this community. I saw some of those videos, and uh, he is exactly right. The uh our, our local folks that were out there protesting peacefully, they really gave some of those potential troublemakers from outside of town uh, a hard time, and it was it was nice to see, and uh, the police uh, used great restraint too. Um, so as you mentioned, uh, Memorial Day uh, a couple of minutes ago, and you haven't really yet seen a spike in positive COVID patients as a result of people getting back together. So my question is, as it relates to some of the demonstrations that we've seen and frankly, returning to outdoor dining, do you think there might be a a spike as a result of some of that? Um, I hope not, but there's always a strong possibility. I do know I've been up in Wisconsin a little bit uh, the last couple of weeks and, um, and it is, Driving by Lake Geneva, I didn't get out, but just driving by, there were so many crowds and nobody had masks on, and they were all over Lake Geneva. And I know that the people that are up there mostly come from Illinois. Right. So um, the potential is there that we would have a spike or at least not a continued decline, but maybe a leveling out. Um, hopefully the people will not get as sick as they have been getting. Uh, there is some evidence and some, um, in Italy where they are looking at if the uh, viral load is weakening. And so even if you get it, that maybe you won't get quite as sick as you have gotten. Although I wouldn't count on that. It's just a beginning look at that. Um, you know, two weeks after Memorial Day, we would think we'd see a spike up, um, because a lot of people got together, although I will tell you, even driving from my mother's yesterday to here, I saw quite a few restaurants that were packed outside. Um, so just because they're sitting outside, if they're packed ear to ear, it it can still be a problem. Sure. I, I know that over the last few weeks, we've talked about the uh, hospitals suffering, both yours and hospitals around the nation, suffering financially because of the pandemic, one, the reimbursements for the COVID patients don't cover the cost of the care that they're receiving. And two, a lot of folks stayed away from the hospitals because they were afraid of the the, the uh, virus. And, and that seems to be getting better, I would hope. But um, I know that uh, Elmer's Memorial Hospital had to make some really tough decisions and furlough some employees. And I'm sure that wasn't easy for the board management um, how's that going so far, and how is morale as a result of that? Well, I I will tell you that I think we have the best staff anywhere. They have been wonderful, um, and everybody has been participating in this. But we went quite a few, over a month, um, without 
with making sure everybody stayed paid and stayed whole, whether they were working or not. And um, we did not start the furloughing process early. We then, um, in May, decided to do um, a mandatory paid time off um, two weeks. And um, we did that actually for the month of May. And uh, people were, not everybody wanted to use their paid time off. And we even allowed staff to, uh, to borrow paid time off hours if they didn't have enough, which they could pay back later. And... Um, and so we did that, and we got enough done, and we made it through that time period and, and reached our goal of what we needed in terms of uh, dollar savings. And then uh, this time around for June, we said um, we went to the furlough process. So people can either choose to use more paid time off or they could choose to be furloughed. And it's about 10% of the population. Um, we are, though, at the same time ramping back up in terms of uh, – surgical procedures, so it's a fine balance, and we are not impacting the number of staff caring for patients. We want to make sure we continue to have the right number of staff caring for patients, the right number of staff helping us reopen our surgicals, reopen our doctor's offices, and so it's it's only... Um, 10% of the fixed employees, meaning those that aren't part of those clinical areas, and then um, and then just those that are um, areas that are still not at full capacity, using their paid time off or their or being furloughed, and it is their choice which they would like to do. And we did extend the being able to borrow paid time off um, up. To, to 80 hours for a full-time employee and 40 hours for a part-time employee through the end of the calendar year. Okay. Well, none of those decisions are easy, I know, but... uh, No, they're not. Sounds like you're getting through it, and hopefully the morale is staying strong, and and you do have a great group of employees over there, so so that's good. Um, Back on the medical side, uh, a couple of the drugs that we've talked about before, remdesivir and hydroxychloroquine, um, are you still using either or both of those, and are there any other new drugs that you're working with now to treat COVID? Well, we are no longer using the hydroxychloroquine, and for a couple of reasons. One, it didn't prove to be as effective as we thought it was going to be, plus it had too many side effects that we didn't want um, think it was worth the risk when we have other alternatives that are working better. Um, so the remdesivir we are using, and that is continues to show great promise and um, and recovering people, and then also the uh, plasma. So the plasma with antibodies in it, we have been giving to patients, and that has been working quite well. So those are the two major um, major interventions besides our way we are proning patients, I mean, laying them on their stomach, which helps them to be able to breathe better and um, monitoring their oxygen levels, giving them enough oxygen, intubating. Um, those are the other things that we're doing. You mentioned a few minutes ago that there are some studies that are showing there's a possibility of uh, the folks that are getting COVID later in this pandemic maybe not having quite as severe as symptoms, and, and the jury's still out on that. But I would ask you, are there any other new symptoms that folks should be looking for other than the, the classic fever and the cough? Um, and and then any new lingering after effects that they might have to live with the rest of their life or for quite a while? So we, we don't know all the lingering after effects, but um, in terms of new symptoms, we know that a lot of people don't show any symptoms. We know some people uh, never have a fever. Um, 
but they, you know, have other things like uh, losing their sense of smell, their sense of taste. Um, so it's just a variety of different symptoms. The lingering after effects is, is really a, something related to people who have more severe cases. And there's a lot of problem with um, getting your health back in terms of mobility and um, energy because extreme tiredness is part of this, as well as your mental health back. It's, it's a long, scary process when you're sick, and trying to recuperate from that um, mentally is also one of the things we're seeing. So we're hoping that people who have gone through this and may, may be down or having trouble you know, with anxiety or fear, um, seek some assistance because there is a mental health component to it as well. So I asked you about masks before in terms of the general public outside of the hospital. Does it still appear that these cloth masks that people are wearing are at least somewhat effective? Yes, and I would continue to encourage everybody to wear a cloth mask, no matter how comfortable you get taking it off um, when you're outside, because you do get close to people. You're not always six feet apart, as well as when you're in, in any kind of store I know in some states they're not requiring it anymore. I still would encourage everybody to wear the cloth mask. It does help provide safety both to the other person that you come near as well as to yourself. As it relates to elective surgeries, uh, how's that going? What are your volumes? Are they continuing to increase? They are continuing to increase, and we expect by mid-June we'll be back to normal levels. Wow, mid-June's only 10 days away. Yes. That's amazing. That's, That's great news. I'm glad to hear that. So uh, that that's all great. Um, one last question I want to ask you that I asked uh, Gene Lydon and Michelle Mazir a couple weeks ago, and that is how comfortable are you eating out at restaurants outdoors right now and then eventually when we're allowed to back indoors? Are you going to be a little shy about that? I'm definitely going to be a little shy about that. I've, you know, I've been up in Wisconsin, and I know I could go in any restaurant up there now, and I chose to make all my food at home because I, 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 I don't mind if I'm in an outdoor far enough away from somebody, but I just don't trust that it, people are going to get seated far enough away. And inside, I definitely would have more issues with. So I'm going to give it more time. I'm going to wait and see how, um, as everybody else opens up, how what happens and how many more people get the disease and how, how severe the disease is before I take the chance of going into restaurants. Well, Gene and Michelle were a little uh, skittish about that, too. So I think uh, the fact that you folks are in the healthcare industry uh, carries some weight, and I'm I'm sure people will pay attention. So thank you so much for spending time with us again. I appreciate it. Sorry it's been a few weeks. Uh, Great to hear from you, and I uh, still wish your staff all the best and uh, look forward to this being over soon. I look forward to you, and I thank you for all your support of the community and everything you do to keep everybody informed because I think it's really important. So thank you. I hope you have a wonderful week. You too. Thank you, Pam. This is Erin Jason, Business Development Coordinator for the City of Elmhurst. Now more than ever, we're asking the community of Elmhurst to please fill out your U.S. 2020 Census. It's quick, safe, and easy, and you can do it online at my2020census.gov. Thank you. My fellow Elmhurstians, ask not what Elmhurst can do for you. Ask what you can do for Elmhurst. And you can start by listening to Robbie and Rick on the E-Town Lowdown.
my money on a bobtail nag. The staff and management of the E-Town Lowdown would like to assure our more sensitive listeners that our food critic Sal is really half Italian. His mother is from Poland and his father is from the great country of Italy. We hope you will enjoy and not be offended. Hey, how you doing? Slappy Sal here for the E-Town Lowdown. You ain't gonna believe this, but I'm here to tell you to go get some food from the gas station. Seriously. My German buddy, Johnny Crepes, told me to get some food at Thornton's gas station over on York Road and Lake Street. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? I told him he was puzzle, you know? Crazy? But he's like, Sal, I'm dead serious. You have to try their breakfast. So I said, okay. So I was low on fuel yesterday, and I stopped in there. Turns out, their food's pretty good. No fooling. They got fresh-made breakfast sandwiches. They got eggs and bacon and sausage. You know, you name it, they got it. They got donuts and really swanky coffee, the whole Panzerati. You know what I'm saying? Can't believe I'm telling you this, but you got to try the breakfast food at Thornton's gas station. In fact, they should put up a big sign in front that says, eat here, get gas. This is Slappy Sal for the E-Town Lowdown, reminding you of what Julia Child once said. The only time to eat diet food is while you're waiting for your steak to finish cooking. The E-Town Lowdown encourages you to like Explore Elmhurst on Facebook, a great resource so you too can be in the know when it comes to Elmhurst. Elmhurst, close to everything, unlike anything. The E-Town Lowdown, brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra, featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.